Professor Jadeep Prabhu, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Judge Business School White Paper podcast today. I know that you've drawn up a theory that CEOs are very important when it comes to bringing innovation to their companies or not, as the case may be. What does your research tell you? Well, our research tells us something quite surprising, actually. It tells us that CEOs can have a positive long-term impact on how innovative their companies are. And how did you go about your, your research? I know that you searched for the word will. Indeed. Uh, this was quite a methodological challenge. And in fact, uh, despite the fact that it's a very important question and lots of academics would like to know the answer to that question, it's proven difficult to actually f- find uh, evidence in support or systematic evidence in support of whether CEOs have this kind of impact on how innovative the companies are over the long term. What we decided to do was to look at one industry, banking in this case, a uh, very interesting and important industry. And what we decided to do was look at the public pronouncements of the CEOs of publicly owned banks over a period of time. So we looked at what they were saying in their annual reports between the period 1990 and 1995. And these were public banks in the U.S. and by law they're required to file letters to shareholders. So we we coded these uh, documents. We looked at how often... CEOs in these letters to shareholders use sentences with the word will in them as a way of identifying the percentage of these sentences that were about the future. The English language having this curious quirk that this word will will tell you whether the sentence is about the future tense or not. And so, of course, the main question is, if a CEO is focused on the future, does it make a difference to the success and profitability of the company? And indeed, so that was the question we wanted to ask. So we coded these public pronouncements between 1995, and then we looked at whether or not they had any impact on how innovative these banks were in the period following 1990 to 1995. Now, that was a very interesting period in banking because that's when the Internet became widely available to consumers, and that's when banks began thinking about how they might use the Internet to deliver banking services to people in their homes 24 hours of the day, seven days a week. Um, So what we looked at was how quickly these banks then detected the opportunity to introduce Internet banking, and we coded this opportunity to detect Internet banking by looking at the date they took out a URL, a domain name. They had to register for this. That was, we thought, a good Uh, objective way of identifying how quickly they detected the opportunity. We then looked at the date they actually introduced transactional internet banking. And we thought that was a good objective way of identifying how quickly they actually offered such a service to consumers. And then thirdly, we looked at uh, uh, by the end of 2001, uh, by which time internet banking was fairly well established, we looked at how sophisticated their internet banking service was in terms of Uh, other services that it offered, like uh, the ability for consumers to fill out electronic tax returns, uh, whether they also offered mobile banking or business banking, whether they used Java applets and things like that. So we looked at the impact of the thoughts of CEOs in the period 90 to 95 on the actual innovative actions of their banks in the period following that, from 95 to as late as the end of 2001. And there was an association, wasn't there? There was a very uh, uh, interesting association between uh, the future focus 
of the CEOs uh, and these actual actions of their banks after controlling for other things that might explain those innovative actions, such as the size of the bank and so on. So looking to the future, if a CEO does it, it did point towards a more successful, profitable company. Absolutely. Well, particularly, uh, it pointed towards a more innovative company. And, of course, that has consequences for profitability. We didn't uh, look very systematically at the impact on profitability, but we have no doubt that if we did, the fact that these companies were innovative would have translated into superior performance. Because the traditional thinking was that CEOs didn't play much part in innovation in their companies. And you yeah. quote those who said wouldn't let their employees in the 70s ever use a computer. Yeah. So, in fact, I mean, uh, what was most surprising about our study, and in fact, I think the strongest contribution of our study, is that it identifies a, a very strong positive impact of CEOs on, on their company's innovative capabilities. Now, this is interesting because, uh, first of all, there isn't a whole lot of systematic research on whether or not CEOs have an impact on their firm's ability to innovate. But the evidence that there is, or the thinking there is out there, tends to actually believe one of two things. Either that CEOs have, are irrelevant for innovation in their companies, or that they're actually bad for innovation in their companies. Uh, and, of course, we overturned both those views with our findings. And were you surprised by your own findings? Uh, we were. We were extremely surprised for two reasons. As I said, one uh, reason being that most people tend to believe that CEOs are bad for innovation. And you quoted the example of uh, one of them, uh, Ken Olson, who was the CEO of Digital Equipment Corporation, or DEC, a very successful computer company, until the 80s, that is. And as late as 1977, Ken Olson said, uh, there's no reason for anyone to have a PC in their homes. Um, so clearly someone who was not stupid, a very bright person, uh, has a PhD, had a PhD from MIT and so on, and had been capable of innovation until then. It's just that for some reason at that point he was incapable of seeing this huge future opportunity and actually resisted it and forbade his employees from actually using that term in his organization. But then you also had people like Andy Grove at Intel and Steve Jobs at Apple, who are widely acknowledged in, in the sector as being good innovators, Indeed. as chiefs. Indeed. So we do have um, anecdotal evidence. We have uh, people who are held up by the press to be uh, good examples of this influence that CEOs can have on their companies in terms of innovation. Andy Grove being a particular example, the CEO of Intel, who's written a book called uh, Only the Paranoid Survive, uh, talking about the importance of companies, uh, in, uh, the importance of being paranoid, in fact, thinking about how they might be made obsolete by new uh, technologies, new companies that exploit those technologies, or shifts in consumer habits. So there's Andy Grove, of course, and then everybody associates Steve Jobs uh, and Apple with innovation, and there's no doubt that every time Steve Jobs has been at the helm of Apple, they've come up with some new blockbuster product. How influential do you think your research will be? Because it's quite surprised, not just you as academics, but others too. Does it mean that you should almost have two CEOs in your company, one who does the day-to-day -day grind and another who looks to the future? That's a very interesting question. Um, and in fact, I think that is the direction in which many companies are headed. Uh, they might not have two CEOs as such because you always want to have one person where the buck stops, and that's the CEO. But you might have a chief innovation officer uh, or you might have a, a chief R&D officer or a VP of innovation. And these people might be the ones whose role is explicitly 
to think about innovation, whose role it is explicitly to think about the future and exhort the employees of the company towards thinking about the future and innovating. So if I was a CEO of a large corporation now and I'm being told, well, to think of the future, you know, there's piles of paper on my desk, how would I change my own behavior patterns to become a future-focused CEO? That's the multi-billion dollar question, isn't it? I mean, that is the big challenge for CEOs and all employees, uh, to be quite honest. I mean, the pressures on uh, employees these days are immense. And everything about a business forces people to think about the present, if not the past, rather than the future. The future is abstract, it's distant, uh, and as a result, it um, gets relegated down the list of priorities. Nevertheless, it's important that companies, and especially people at the top of the companies, of their companies, think about the future. So how might they do this? Um, uh, we might take a, 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 a leaf out of the uh, book of, uh, of um, uh, Bill Gates, uh, uh, former CEO of Microsoft, who used to do something very interesting while he was CEO of his company. Uh, he would take a week off every six months. Uh, this week was called Think Week. Uh, he would take a week off and uh, go to his cabin in the mountains, uh, and he would essentially spend 18 hours a day reading memos, books, articles, anything that had attracted his uh, notice. And essentially, he would devote himself to just reading these articles and thinking about the future. And then after his week in, uh, in the cabin in the mountains, he would descend, like a bit like Moses, uh, with a memo that he would send to the rest of uh, Microsoft. And in his memo, he would highlight or distill some of his thoughts about the future and emphasize some of the threats and opportunities he felt were around the corner that Microsoft as a company ought to be focusing on. So there was a systematic attempt to, to take himself out of the current problems, the present uh, uh, and the present challenges, step back, reflect on some of the bigger challenges that were around the corner, uh, and then try and bring that thinking back into the organization. So I could also, as a CEO, monitor my own behavior by looking at my memos in accordance with your research and seeing how often I use the word will. Because if I use the word will, then clearly I pass all the tests of being a, a future-focused CEO. True. Uh, but at the same time, of course, uh, one mustn't approach this mechanistically. Uh, it has to be something that's genuine and deeply felt. Um, so it might be a reflection of how often CEOs uh, think about the future, uh, but it wouldn't mean, therefore, that if a CEO who read our paper and then went, uh, went away and wrote annual reports that had lots of sentences with the word will in them would, would overnight magically become an innovative CEO with uh, leading an innovative company. No, that's cheating. That would be cheating indeed, yeah. Okay, but as we enter 2009, clearly the world is talking up the recession being future-focused has never been more important for corporations. Indeed, uh, that's a very good point you raise because uh, I mentioned earlier how uh, business as usual force, forces people, and particularly people at the top in these organizations, to think about their current problems. And, and that's uh, particularly true in a recession. Uh, the problems that you face in the present are acute in a recession. And you're thinking about things that have very little to do with innovation, really. You're not thinking that much about the future. You're thinking about the present. You're not thinking very much about investments. You're thinking about cutting, cutting costs and so on. 
And yet, it's precisely then that you ought to be thinking about the future as well. And you ought to be thinking about investing for the future. And I think companies that are able to buck the trend uh, within a recession, companies that, and CEOs that are able to uh, devote some time to thinking about the future while dealing with problems in the present, and, think, and devote some resources to the future while managing the challenges they face in the present, will come out stronger at the end of the recession. So maybe in 2009 we'll see Judge Business School holding future-focused CEO courses. Well, in fact, we do that all the time. Uh, Executive education, almost by definition, is an attempt to take management, and this could be top management or middle management, outside their very busy uh, day-to-day context. Take them outside, bring them to a place like Cambridge, bring them to a business school where they can reflect uh, and reflect often on the future, not just on their present problems, but think about opportunities and also threats that are around the corner, things that they do not have the opportunity to spend much time thinking about in the context of their day-to-day jobs. So well, I'm going to go away and start cheating and write the word will in all of my emails now, but uh, Professor Jadeep Prabhu, thank you very much for talking to the Judge Business School White Paper podcast. Thank you, Bernie, and good luck with that uh, will, uh, those will sentences and being innovative and thinking about the future. I will.